Hello, everyone, and welcome to Avatar, the podcast. Comic edition. The comic edition. I'm Booster Greg. That's Acorn Bandit. We have the finale of what I call the original Avatar, the last Airbender comic books trilogy right here. Yes. We're covering The Rift Part 3, or as we like to call it, Attack of the Rock Lobster. Yes. And what does that mean? You're going to find out towards the middle-ish end, I think. I don't remember. We'll find out. But before we jump into anything else, we got some five-star reviews to read. Yes, we do. Our first five-star review comes from what looks like Cat Taco Burrito in emojis. Yeah. I mean, yes. I, I mean, a cat eating a burrito? And talk, I don't know. I want, I'm hungry now, though. That's all I know. <laughs> they write, Hi, this is unrelated, but I love how in your cover art, everyone is getting ready to fly, and Toph is sitting with her arms crossed in the saddle. I carry my own weight. Fly me, oh, Hopman. Thank you for noticing. That was intentional. Yes. Yeah. We um we got our dear friend Murgles, who you can find over at twitch.tv slash Murgles, to do our cover art for books two and three. And that was a very specific thing that we asked her to do for Toph. We were like, we know she's going to be teeny tiny and not a lot of people are going to notice, but like this has to happen, please. Uh Uh-huh. She's hanging onto the side of the saddle where she always is. Yeah. Yep. It was so good. It's such a good art. I can't wait for when we get to Korra to have that new cover art. I know. We've been talking about what the covers are going to look like. I'm so excited. I know. Well, Cat Taco Burrito, thank you for noticing and thank you for pointing it out. We appreciate it. And thank you for leaving the five-star review. How inconsiderate of me to forget to thank for that. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we're going to move on to the next one, which is from the OG Cabbage Merchant. And Ooh. they write, To the amazing Acorn and gracious Greg. Aww. Yeah, I know. Hi, Acorn and Greg. Thank you guys so much for a top tier podcast. It's taken off. Oh my gosh, we're doing it. I'm currently watching Legend of Korra with my family and I can't wait till you guys review it. I'm on season three and it's so good. And I am loving the comics. My top five favorite characters are as follows. Number five is Toph. Number four is Katara. Number three is Zuko. Number two is Iroh. And my number one drum roll for the amazing. Toftastic, <laughs> catarific, the one, the only, Sokka, with f- <laughs> 4,700 exclamation marks. Da-da-da. Love you guys so much with 12 exclamation marks and a whole bunch of heart emojis. Love it. Love it. Another. Another. Rabbit Sokka fan. Yes. Yes. I was going to say, this might be one of my favorite reviews to date, and I don't know why. <laughs> of course. Puns. Sokka is number one. The dramatic buildup, OG Cabbage Merchant. Thank you so much for leaving this quite fantastic, tough-tier, amazing review. We appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Our next review comes from Twixter12345, who writes, Love it! With about 25 exclamation points. I love your show so much. More exclamation points. I love how much effort you put into your show and how much you love it. I'm only 11 and I don't have my own money, so I can't buy the comics. So listening to your summaries are amazing. All of your episodes are so funny and always make me laugh. My top five characters are Azula, Toph, Zuko, Katara, and Kyoshi. Oh, Kyoshi. I can't wait for the Kyoshi novels. I own both and Legend of Korra. Love your show and never stop. Twigs Heart and smiley face. Thank you. That's so nice. So nice. We're so glad that you're listening to our podcast. And that's something that we were hoping going into covering the comics is spreading more awareness to the fact that they exist because we're enjoying them so much reading them for the first time. But I imagine there are some people who don't have the ability to get the comics or can't find them. So we love that you're enjoying the, the summaries with us. Yeah, and Twigster, don't forget to check your local library as well. Yes. They might have a couple of these issues because we have, after this episode, 10 more episodes left for the comic. Mm-hmm. And then we're on to Legend of Korra. Yep. So and I've been thinking, it's, it's taken us so long to get through the comics, understandably, that I kind of want to go back and read all of the trilogies before going into Legend of Korra because we talked about how much they set up the show. And I want to like refresh my memory before diving in. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that as well. Um, maybe yeah. I'll skip one or two issues here and there. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Just speed read. We'll speed read. We'll, we'll find yeah. out. Twigster, thank you so much for leaving that five-star review. We super appreciate it. The next one is a short but sweet one, and it comes from Willia, and they write, 
good. Awesome. I like it, and it is fun to keep along with the podcast while watching it on TV. And my top five favorite characters are Momo, Iroh, Sokka, Katara, and Iroh again. <laughs> Likes him so much is worth repeating. Iroh as the number five and number one spot. Wow. Twice the Iroh. Oh, I'm sorry. Number four. Number four. Number five. Twice the Iroh. Mm-hmm. Twice the fun. That's I think that's what they say, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. William, thank you so much for leaving that five-star review. We super appreciate it. Our next review comes from Starish Composer, who writes, five-star from Twitter person. Hello, Greg and Acorn. I have liked your podcast. I found your podcast through me looking for Avatar The Last Airbender podcasts by two voice actors, ironically enough. (laughs) You guys have been making my day job more and more interesting each time I listen to your theories and ideas. My favorite character is Katara and Toph. Have a good day and hope you guys are well. Thank you. So you you found our podcast when you were looking for Avatar podcasts, one in particular, mm-hmm. it sounds like. That is so amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you stuck around and left a five-star review. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. The next one, and I think, I think this is our second to last one, comes from Neil, our dear friend, Neil C. And Neil writes, the waterbending master with a wave emoji, like the, the water wave, not like someone wave. Anyways. When Zuko gets exploded, I think he gets blown out of the top and lands in the water. And when I watched it, I don't think I saw anyone around Iroh. So I thought he saw it and went back. That's a nice little theory from the Waterbending Master episode. Oh, yeah. When Zuko got like exploded. And we talked about that a little bit, how you can kind of see him going like off in the distance, which is a Uh nice little animation touch. It's been a while since I watched that or listened to our episode, which is, is really weird to listen to your own episodes, everyone. Like, if you, <laughs> anyone, old ones. Yeah. If, if anyone has a podcast or is thinking about starting one and you've listened to your voice recorded, you should know. You probably know what I'm talking about. But I think we were talking about like if Iroh knew or not. Right. That's yeah. the, the mastermind Iroh yes. theory. That's my yeah. theory all the time. <laughs> Iroh is constantly scheming and playing a life high show game. He is all seeing. He sees everything all the time and is five steps ahead at any yes. given point. Yep. <laughs> yes. Uh, Neil, thank you. Thank you so much for your review and your theory. Yeah. Our last review comes from The Dog is on Fire. Oh, no. I hope the dog is not on fire. Hope not. But thank you for leaving a review. They write, love it with sparkle emojis. This podcast is ang amazing. I started listening at the beginning of book three. You make my boring day 10 times better. People all around me tell me that Avatar is a kid's show. When I found this podcast, I rubbed it in their faces. <laughs> my top five characters are Appa, the Cabbage Merchant, Zuko, Uncle Iroh, and Momo in the number five spot. Love you two so much. P.S. You two remind me of Sokka and Katara. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's so nice. Oh, oh my you. gosh. So please, yeah. A, douse the fire. Please, yes. for the dog's sake. I do want to point out this is a very interesting top five. I know. I really like Appa it. Appa and yeah. Momo in the number one and number five spot. And then also the merchant. Cabbage Merchants. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then Zuko and Iroh representing the Fire Nation yep, in the yep, middle. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. interesting. I like that. That's probably one of the more unique top fives that we've had in quite some time. Yes. Anyways. So. I would agree. Yeah. Remember, as many of you know, if you would enjoy hearing your review, read right here on Avatar, the podcast. Only one thing you got to do for me, your old friend, Greg. And what is that, Acorn? (laughs) You got to write your review so we can read it. Is that right? Because why is that, Acorn? Because that's how the written language works. That's how the written language works. (laughs) We do super appreciate everyone who's been writing reviews. It really does make our day. I check it several times a day. I know exactly Mm -hmm. what number we're on at any given point. It's become an obsession. It's unhealthy. Someone please help me. (laughs) (laughs) But we do appreciate it. And everyone who's been writing into the email, avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. We know we haven't responded in forever. Five ever. Five ever. We're we're going to six ever very shortly. (laughs) Yeah. But we do read them. We do appreciate them and we do talk about them. We message back and forth about them all the time. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And also a big special thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash avatar the podcast. It's been a little bit since we've had an episode of Secret Podcast because Acorn and I have been, for lack of a better term, dying. (laughs) But not basically never at the same time. Uh I'll get sick. Acorn will get sick back and forth, back and forth. Yep. Yep. So we appreciate everyone's patience and 
and everyone who has been voting on those polls and listening to the episodes and all that, they will be back shortly. We promise. All right. With all that done, all of the mess swept under the rug, it's time for the reason why we're here. And that is The Rift Part 3. We actually begin this issue back at Beifong Metal Bending Academy, where the Dark One, Hotan, and Penga are leading dozens of new students in a metal bending class. Sokka bursts into the building and tells the trio that they need to follow him immediately. The Dark One instructs the students to continue with their training as they leave the building and Penga unconvincingly, at least in my opinion, tells Sokka that she's outgrown the warrior and her crush. But she says this while like hugging his arm. Yeah, and making like googly eyes. Yeah, and I don't know if there were hearts around her, but there might as well have been Yep. at that point. The Dark One poetically asks Sokka for more information, but all Sokka has time to tell them is that Toph needs their help. Oh, dreadful haste. <laughs> How you fill my heart with dreadful questions. He is very, very well-read, I feel, for <laughs> someone of... We don't really know his background too much, do we? We just know his name, yep. and he's ashamed of his name. Yeah. And he was stewing in public and getting mad at people when yeah. Toph found him. Yeah. Yep. So that's all. We, I wonder, do you think he's rich? Do you think he like comes from like well-off parents? Or do you think he's kind of like, I don't know, I can't tell. He kind of seems like it. He seems like that emo kid that comes from like a very well-adjusted, like upper middle class type of family mm -hmm. who like parents who dote on him. And he's like, mom, dad, God. <laughs> and like... <laughs> goes out into the world just to be like angsty and emo and like pretend he doesn't come from like yeah. a normal home. <laughs> he literally is the kid that, and I'm going to say this and people are going to feel attacked, but know that I am this kid. <laughs> He's the kid who is sitting there with loving parents and looks at Jet and Zuko and just wants to be them and is oh, so yeah. mad that he can't be them. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that exactly. That's my headcanon for the dark one. Yeah. All right, so back at the earthen refinery, Katara offers the last of her water to Toph. Because, you know, remember, they're all underground and Toph is holding their lives on her shoulders, quite literally. Uh-huh. Satoru worries about this being the last of the waterbender's water, but Katara points out that if Toph fails, Katara running out of water won't really matter all that much. Mm-hmm. Satoru takes the pouch to Toph and tells her to drink. When the pouch empties... Toph asks the engineer to distract her by staying and talking to her. When Satoru asks if this will make it harder for her to concentrate, the metal bending master smirks and shrugs it off, saying that she is barely breaking a sweat. Classic Toph. <laughs> yep. Satoru admits to Toph that he is a runaway as well, and that both of his parents worked for Ozai's government before Zuko took over. After the events of the series finale, his parents joined the underground pro-Ozai society which possibly could be the same one as May's parents. I think so. We saw that in Team Avatar Tales. Yes, we did. The flower shop. Yep, the flower shop when May was broken up from Zuko and like angsty May about it and mm -hmm. then met this random boy who took her to the Ozai Society meeting where she saw her dad. Yeah, and it did not end well for the date. No. Mm -mm. Satoru, just like May couldn't really live with this knowledge, right? Couldn't live with his parents being pro-Ozai. So he ran away. The young man spent months on the street of Ba Sing Se's lower ring, begging for food to survive. When Satoru's uncle heard about what had happened, he sought out his nephew, fed him, and gave him a job. Loban earned the admiration of his nephew that day because he didn't care about politics at all. Satoru now realized this was not quite the admiral trait he thought it was because Lopan, while he doesn't care about politics, does care about something very deeply. And that something is money. Uh-huh. Satoru comes to the realization that he was too afraid of getting thrown out on the streets to see this earlier, which makes sense. Yeah. If you're in need and someone comes to your rescue, you're going to see them through rose-colored glasses for sure. Absolutely. Put them on a pedestal or two. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Satoru admits that he wishes he were brave like her and points out that she was able to confront her father directly after all the terrible things he said about her. As soon as the words leave his mouth, Lao walks up and asks Satoru for a moment alone with his daughter. And this next part 
I'm quoting him verbatim because I feel like summarizing it or paraphrasing it just wouldn't quite do it justice. Mm. So these are the exact words that Lao speaks to Toph. Young lady, Toph, my daughter, he says with his head down. This is neither the ideal time nor place, but I'm afraid. Please hear me out. I'm, I'm so... After Master Yu and Shin Fu gave up their search for you, things fell apart between your mother and me. She blamed me for losing you. Perhaps she was right. She didn't want anything to do with me. So I left Gaoling and made a new life for myself here. But now look at us, trapped underground, not knowing whether we'll live or die. In case these are our final moments, Toph, I need you to know not a day has gone by where I haven't thought of you. I love you, my daughter, and I'm sorry for everything. Oh, and he's crying when he says this. He's crying. The man's crying in front of Mr. Prim and Proper, sitting there breaking down into tears in front of his daughter, who is saving his life at the moment. Uh-huh. Still with the weight of the mine on her shoulders, literally. Yes. Lao wipes away his tears and Toph allows the sweat from her brow to hide the tear running down her cheek. This is my headcanon. I don't know if she's crying or not. To me, it looked like she was crying. What do you think? It's one of those things where if you cry in the shower, are you really crying? Because there's just there's water everywhere. <laughs> if you're sweating, saving like a group of people's lives, are you really crying? Or is just more water in your face? Well, like I was thinking because you could see beads of sweat, right? Because she's very uh-huh. much putting effort into it. And there was one that was going down her cheek. And I was like, I can't tell if that. So in my head canon, she's crying, but she's letting that single tear shed down is kind of what's going on. Yep. Yep. Letting it yeah. mingle with the sweat. Yeah. So she says to Lao, that's your whole problem, dad. If you knew me, the real me, you wouldn't be wondering if we're going to live or die because you'd know I can keep this up as long as I need to. I'm Toph Beifong, the greatest earthbender of all time. And just like Captain America, she can keep this up all day. (laughs) She can do this all day. Accurate. You know, that's a funny observation you make because... There was a note from Yang on this comic saying that he sees the parallels between Sokka and Hawkeye, as well as Toph in the Hulk from Marvel's Avengers. So we're close. We're close. Maybe different Avenger, but We're, we're, We're hitting those wavelengths for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Not a moment later, Aang exclaims that the metal bending students have arrived. The Avatar catches Penga, the Dark One, and Ho Tan up on the situation. When Hotan clarifies what is being asked of them, Katara yells words from their metal-bending masters from under the rubble that this is exactly like the spider ants beneath stomping feet only flipped. Unfortunately, the direction only frustrates Hotan and the Dark One as the exercise is not one they particularly enjoy. Penga, on the other hand, seems energized by the comparison and tells Aang that the exercise is where the students are standing in a sand pit, blindfolded, and then they have to throw giant metal plates back and forth over their heads. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. At this point, I'm flashing back to Bitter Work when Toph was giving Aang his first earthbending lesson. Mm-hmm. And just all the creative ways that she came up with exercises, punching sand in like a cave and like basically standing on rock pillars like stilts and carrying a, a rock dumbbell in between. Mm-hmm. And like... I can only imagine she has gotten more creative since then. So these poor students are being put through their paces. Yes, they are. Absolutely. This is the part that got me. So the the dark one adds that (laughs) if they mess up, they get stomped by the giant plates. There's no forgiveness. It's just you're (laughs) squished. That's it. Yep. Just like Aang almost getting squished by the giant rock rolling down the hill. Yeah. Sokka notices that the dark one did not add any, here's everyone's pun, poetic because the Dark One's like Edgar Allan Poe. That's how it works. (laughs) Uh Any poetic flavor to the description, but the Dark One is too freaked out of his mind to compose any sort of poetry at this point. Hotun is very unsure of this idea, but Aang assures him that they can do this. After all, this is what they've been training for. The group assumes their stances and begins to pull out large iron ore deposits one by one until they discover exactly what Toph is holding up. And it's not a boulder. No. It is a giant iron mempo, which, mm. yes, I had to Google that word because it means it's just this is what the samurai mask is called, according to Google. Uh huh. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I never knew that. 
I just called it the samurai mask. Yeah, I didn't either. And it, this is, um, if you don't have the comic, this is the mask that almost looks like a like a demon face. Yes. Or spirit face with like the fangs and the open mouth. Very similar to the blue spirit mask. Yes. And it looks very similar to a flashback we saw in story form because it's the very same one that General Old Iron wore in the last issue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hotan again becomes unsure of himself, but Aang quickly reminds the trio that they are the three best metal benders outside of Toph, of course, in the entire world. The words seem to resonate with Hotan, and the group manages to lift the iron mask away from their friends underneath, saving everyone who is trapped. Yili asks Jing Ying who the metal benders are, and Jing Ying tells her that they are Toph students and that they're pretty great. Yili agrees as she watches the dark one. She's like, yeah, they're pretty great. And her eyes are fixated on the dark one. This is my new ship. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I love this. Oh, yeah. Because she's so like happy-go-lucky and she's like so naive and innocent seeming. And he is just miserable. (laughs) Uh, It's the grumpy sunshine pairing. I love it so much. I honestly, no one tell me, but I hope we see more of this in the next trilogy of books because this seems like they're building up to something very specific, at least in the next one, which is going to be metal tops, metal bending Academy. So maybe we see more there. I don't know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The air acolytes might be visiting tops, metal bending Academy. (gasps) I hope so. Okay. Anyways, Toph gives her students a thumbs up and barely gets a not bad out before collapsing. And she collapses into her father's arms. What a legend. Can I just say, as a new father, specifically one to a daughter, this whole thing is making me feel really good. Oh, I know. I was getting some bad vibes earlier in the first two and even before that in the animated series. But now I'm really liking it. Yeah, it's so sweet. Jingbo, your favorite. Yes. Jingbo immediately rushes onto the scene with medical supplies, yelling if anyone <laughs> is hurt. I love this kid. I love him too. He's so much. Aang and Katara kiss, which Sokka notes are well-deserved oogies. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The Dark One sees Toph unconscious in her father's arms and assumes the worst. Lau assures the dramatic teenager that Toph will be fine and that she is just exhausted. Hotan notes how small and fragile Toph looks but is quickly shushed by Penga, who reminds him that he will likely get pummeled if Toph hears him say that. Oh, yeah. That's got to be quite the, uh, I don't even know what the word is, but like the the contrast for who Toph is versus what she looks like right now for the trio there. Like they know she's stubborn, hard-headed. She's tough, but fair. Mm-hmm. And she's strong. But to see her in this state, must be quite the trip. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those things you always see in shows and movies where someone sees a tough character sleeping and they're like, they look so gentle. They look so innocent. Yeah. It kind of like pulls off the the mask and shows the person for who they are, like a person, just a individual who's human like you. And it's like, yeah, it kind of breaks the breaks the image. It's, it's always interesting, I think, that illusion of what you think someone is versus who they are. Yeah. And especially when that other individual is trying very hard to keep that front up, right? Like Toph is all of the things that we described her as, but she's very mindful to make sure that everyone knows she's that way. She doesn't want to Mm -hmm. be that like prim and proper princess, for lack of a better term, that her parents want her to be, right? Yep. She's very actively always working against that image Sometimes maybe to her detriment, mostly not, but that's just who she is. So yeah, to see this now, this other side, and actually this is kind of what her father wanted her to be a little bit. Not hurt, obviously, (laughs) but dependent, right? Yeah. 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 So it's interesting. Anyways, Lau introduces himself as Toph's father and the trio are surprised that she had parents to begin with and she didn't just pop out of a rock (laughs) or something. (laughs) Meanwhile, Nutha walks past Katara and the waterbender asks her friend to let the air acolytes check her over to make sure everything is okay. Nutha doesn't really know what to say to Katara and just kind of ends up thanking her. It's like this weird pause. She's like, eh. Katara simply smiles. Yeah, she knows. Yeah. Loban, on the other hand, is delighted at the mess of iron ore deposits on the ground and the giant iron mask laying in front of him. 
It's a fortune just there for the taking. He barks at my favorite rough rhino, Vakir, who is getting his <laughs> index finger fixed by Jingbo <laughs> and tells him to fetch the Komodo rhinos so they can haul as much of the iron ore to their ship on the beach. Loban plans to process the iron at his plant in the Fire Nation, and that way he won't have to share any of the profits with Lau. <sighs> He's so oily. He's so, so oily. Awful unapologetically capitalist is what he yeah. is. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> He's like, yes, yes, we're alive. All right. Yeah. Off with this fortune. Money. <laughs> Back on track. <laughs> Back on track. I believe my partnership with the Earth Kingdom is over, he says, looking particularly villain-esque. Yeah. Suddenly, a storm begins to form and Avatar Yang Chen appears to Aang. But again, he is unable to hear her. Aang tries to complete the ceremonial meal, but Jingbo points out that the ceremonial vase, or vase if you're feeling fancy, has been broken. Aang remembers the words of Yang Chen during his trip to the spirit world and realizes what he must do. He quietly picks up the nearby stone and earthbends it into a Fire Nation medallion. He then attaches it to his prayer beads and begins to meditate. This next part, I was very like, it touched me in a way. Yeah. It was very emotional. During his meditation, Aang sees Avatar Roku standing in front of him and begins to explain himself, but is interrupted by a warm hug from his mentor. Aang apologizes for his actions the night he severed the connection with his past life. A smile forms on Roku's face as he offers Aang some advice. Aang, your past lives can only advise you from the perspectives of our own life histories based on our own triumphs and failures. As the Avatar... You must find balance, not just between the spirit and human, but between the past and the present, between us and you. Remember this as you search for a solution to your current dilemma. Oh, man. You know what? This has the energy of the reunion between Zuko and Iroh yeah. at the end of the animated series. Absolutely. With Aang and Roku. And like, while he is talking to a past life as the Avatar... In this fantasy world, I think a lot of the the emotions and the the feeling in the scene parallel that relationship between like a parent and a child, basically telling a child like, I want a better life for you. I have gone through my own life experiences. The way that I'm providing like advice and guidance to you is based on my own life experiences, but you are growing into your own person and you have to go figure out how to make your own decisions. Yes. I actually didn't think of it that way before. That's very interesting. I really like that. Yeah, it's multiple levels. Yeah, yeah. For me, I kind of took this as Roku realizing that he's been explaining things. Not explaining things. How can I put this? I think Roku in the past incarnations of the Avatar that we saw in the animated series looked at this relationship in one way and Aang was looking at it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And it never occurred to any of them that this might be a disconnect. Yeah. So Aang is using, much like a child with a parent, is using their words as gospel, essentially. This is the truth. This is what I need to do. This is how the world works. This is how the world works. Not taking into consideration that the world worked that way hundreds of years ago, and it might not mm -hmm. work that way any longer. Not taking into consideration that they're much different people than he is with different values and, and different ideals. Yeah, exactly. So we saw in the animated series that he would go through and, and just say like, oh, what should I do with Zhao? Take him down. All right, cool. I can do that. What should I do with Ozai? Kill him. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> like everyone's like, just kill the guy. You're fine. You just kill him. And he's like, yeah. no, I don't want to kill him. And that's kind of like, I think that was obviously the beginning of that disconnect. And then with Roku in the comic, he was like, no, I can't even look at you anymore. And he like, severed that connection. And now Roku, having been severed, I think had that realization of like, oh, he was doing exactly what we were saying and he couldn't find that balance between us and him. Yeah. I like that. Skewing too much to one side, not finding that balance. Yes. So I like that they kind of clarified in, the, in this comic specifically that there's more than the two balances that we were led to believe. Yeah. It's a very nice touch. As soon as these words leave Roku's mouth, a vision of Aang's past lives appear before him, standing idle in a single row, shoulder to shoulder. Aang says hi to Kiyoshi and Korok before addressing Yang Chen directly and asks for the details of the agreement 
with general old iron. And I think this right here, I think this is what we were talking about an episode or two ago where we were like, what, what is that relationship like with Yang Chen and Korok and Kiyoshi? Uh, yeah. Because that just has it right in a row. And you're like, huh, I wonder what that... Yeah, yeah, that was like... I'm so curious. I know. Hopefully we get it. Anyways, she tells him that in exchange for General Old Iron never taking up his armor against humankind again, she built a statue to honor Lady Tianhai while promising that the land would return to its natural state and remain undisturbed as a sign that the humans could preserve their balance between the two worlds. She also led the air nomads on a yearly journey to the land for a festival, and thus humans would not defile it, for lack of a better term, as they knew it was sacred. After she died, the celebration became known as Yang Chen's festival, and the air nomads kept it faithfully until they were wiped out. So that's like really intelligent. It was like this self-sustaining system of leaving this place mm -hmm. undisturbed. She didn't realize at the time that the air nomads would get wiped out and that would undo everything. But it was yep. very smart to kind of be like, okay, I can know how to get this undisturbed now, but how do I keep this hundreds and hundreds of years from now? Yeah, a festival. Yeah, Tradition. fun festival with yeah. maybe kind of gross food, depending on <laughs> Not, your tastes. Yeah. <laughs> Not gross for them. I'm sure they're used to bean sprouts and, and lettuce and... And tofu, I guess. And tofu, yeah. <laughs> I've never... Have you had tofu? I've never had tofu. I have. Tofu is one of those things where you really have to cook it a certain way for it to be good. Okay. I recently have discovered a couple of recipes, actually, since we're on the topic, ah. about firm tofu. If you get firm tofu and cook it a certain way, it can be really, really tasty. Is it like spongy? Yeah. If you cook it not the right way. It's very bland and spongy. Oh. But if this tofu is one of those things that just absorbs flavor. So you okay. have to really flavor it and then cook it so it's it has the right consistency. Okay. All right. I'm afraid of it. Yeah. If I'm being honest with you and everyone on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to see if there's any tofu recipes in the Avatar cookbook because that'd be is. really fun to try. It yeah. would be, but I'm still very much afraid of it. I had many opportunities and I'm like, uh, what if it comes to life and eats me? That's my fear is the vegetarian <laughs> option is going to eat me. Uh -huh. Aang asks if the iron dug up was General Old Iron's armor, to which Yang Chen replies affirmatively and notes that her promise has been broken, meaning the old spirit will return. Aang further asks if he can turn the land back to its natural state to unbreak the promise, but his former life can neither confirm nor deny that this will work and instead tells Aang that he needs to go back to his friends. Aang leaves his meditation, and as rain begins to fall, he watches as General Old Iron emerges from the ocean, his eyes glowing red. Oof. Oh, boy. Very Godzilla-esque. <laughs> Extremely. That is wow. what I was thinking. And that only intensifies in a couple pages. Mm -hmm. But I like that kind of suspense where... Aang, very much like a little kid, is like, okay, well, if I do this, it'll just fix everything, right? It'll yeah. just undo everything. Yeah. And Yang Chen is like, you need to go find your friends. <laughs> go find your friends. But he'll, <laughs> he'll get there and he'll see the land is fine and he'll be like, maybe I was wrong and just turn right back and go, right? Yeah. No, yep. no. No, dear. Pats him <laughs> on the head. No, no, no. Yeah, we're going to have to figure this out. Yeah. Aang returns to the group and tells everyone that the armor needs to get back into the ground and that he needs to restore the land that the refinery is sitting on to what it looked like before the land was defiled. Sokka asks if this means he's going to have to destroy the refinery, and Aang replies yes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Aang asks Katara to ensure that everyone gets out of the buildings and decides he will need the help of Toph's students with the armor. Suddenly, he notices that the mask is gone. Satoru drives up in the forklift and tells the Avatar that he saw a couple of rough rhinos dragging the mask down the beach with Loban. Aang tells Satoru and Sokka that the mask needs to come back and the duo are on the case with Satoru driving, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back in town, Katara convinces the cabbage merchant to leave his new restaurant. Katara tries to console him and tells him that he can get new cabbages when this is all over. But the merchant replies that they won't be the same. It's never the same. This poor guy has like basically lost his children like 10 times over. Oh. 
Very specific cabbages. They each have a personality. I know. This poor man has like PTSD from just seeing Mm -hmm. these kids. Do you think he has a fear of all children or specifically these children? That's a great question. I wonder. I shouldn't say children. I should say kids. But it'd be funny if he sees any kids and he's just like, oh, no. And just runs off. Yeah. My cabbages. My cabbages. Suddenly, Sokka and Satoru drive by the cabbage merchant who admires the remarkable machine. Hmm. Hmm. Foreshadowing? Yep. This seems like a significant moment Hmm. that we're going to see develop into something in the future. Maybe. (coughs) Cora. Anyways, (laughs) at the beach, Loban orders the rough rhinos to move faster and dismisses Kachi's concerns about the increasingly violent weather. Kachi, by the way, everyone, is the other rough rhino that's with Fakir. Mm -hmm. He's bald, but he's no Fakir, I'll tell you that much. My best friend. Vakir, <laughs> the failed assassin. <laughs> Vakir turns to notice Sokka's boomerang cutting into the ropes they were using to haul the mask. Sokka shouts that the Avatar needs the mask returned, while Satoru tells his uncle that his greed has nearly cost him his life in the mine. Loban tells Satoru that he does not have what it takes to be a successor and orders the Rough Rhinos to attack both Sokka and his nephew. Wow. Showing your true colors, uncle. In between me and my money, no way. No nephew of mine. Kill him. (laughs) Exactly. Back in town, Katara tells Aang that everyone has left safe and soundly. Aang looks to the sea and sees General Old Iron continuing to rise. Aang asks if Katara can see the spirit and she tells him that she can, which is like the first time, at least so far, that she's been able to see the spirits too or anyone yeah. else. Not a good sign. Katara asks Aang if the spirit will turn back if everything looks the way it used to, but Aang can only hope that this will happen. She tells her sweetie to hurry and Aang sighs since he hates destroying things. Katara comforts him with a kiss on the cheek. Aang enters the Avatar state and takes to the sky. Yeah. Small note, but I like how the comics are portraying their relationship because it's still in that like cutesy, teenager-y, you're my person, you're my sweetie, smooches and oogies and stuff. It's also showing how they fundamentally understand each other as people. Mm -hmm. Like they have gone on this journey together and they appreciate each other for who they are. Katara is constantly saying like, I know, and this is how you are. And like, this is what you can do. And it's just, I don't know. It's nice. I guess after so many years of seeing like Insta love with no basis other than like physical attraction. Yeah. (laughs) It's nice to see a relationship where it's like two people who like each other as people, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It makes their relationship believable. Oh yeah. 100%. Absolutely. I can't think of a better way to show this like relationship growing than these small moments that we get between the two of them. Exactly. So we're going to take our attention back to team metal bending where Lao and Toph's students surround the earthbending master who is still unconscious. One of the refinery's workers runs up to Lao and tells him that the avatar plans on destroying the refinery. Horrified that their hard work will be destroyed, Lao urges the group that they need to find a way to stop him. Toph wakes up and asks what's going on. Lao tries to get his daughter to lay down and relax and get a bit more rest, but she ultimately demands to know what is going on. Lao apologizes for trying to shield her. Huge growth right there. Oh, yeah. And eventually tells her that the Avatar is trying to destroy the refinery. He then adds that not only would this ruin him, it would remove a symbol of international cooperation, something that could only exist in a world of peace. Please, Toph Beifong, you're the greatest earthbender of all time. Help me. Lao then bows to Toph, who smiles and calls on her students to help. Wow, what a what a turn of events. I know. Oh my gosh. Jeez. Really hitting those emotional notes. I know, just when you think they can't hit anymore. Uh-huh. Find a new yep. one. Jeez. I love how Sifu Toph jumps back into action. Yes, absolutely. As Aang reaches the factory, he fires three large fireballs at it, only to have Toph and her students raise an earthen wall to block the blasts. When he asks what they are doing there, Toph tells him that they are there to stop his assault. Back at the shore, Sokka blocks an arrow launched by Vakir and hands Satoru his battle club. Though the engineer is not sure what to do with it, as he is not a fighter, everyone remembers, he is simply a man of science and machines. Sokka tells him to outthink his foe, a tactic that has worked out so well for the warrior for quite some time. 
Proving his own point, Sokka uses his boomerang to knock Fakir's bow and arrow out of his hands and taunts him over his lack of hand-to-hand combat skills. Oh boy, there's his Achilles heel right there. Mm-hmm. What if, here's a quick little fan theory aside, little, little headcanon. What if Fakir did find, I can only remember him as Nora now, I can't remember his original name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What if Vakir found Ekum and actually like was too close to use bow and arrow, so he had to hand to hand fight, and that's why he lost. And when he went back to Ozai, he's like, "Yeah, I couldn't find him. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Couldn't find him." Oh, that would be so great. So it's like <laughs> it's a sensitive topic for him. It's yeah. a it's a sensitive <laughs> like point. About it. <laughs> yeah. When Fakir tries to throw a punch, Sokka grabs his fist and flips him over, throwing him to the ground. Satoru runs to his forklift and smacks his engine with the battle club, which causes the buttons to launch at Kachi, who is hit and instantly falls to the ground. Satoru looks scared when he asks if the same strategy could be applied to a, let's just say, larger enemy. (laughs) When Sokka asks how large, he points to General Old Iron who has entirely emerged from the water and is at the shore. He's scary. He's very large, everyone. Very, very, very large. We're basically talking Godzilla at this point. Yes. And he does not have his iron armor on right now. So Mm -mm. he is in like his full samurai looking regalia and is looking very dangerous. He looks more menacing without his armor. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Huh. Loban tries to move the mask by himself and demands the Komodo rhinos help him, but they run from the sight of General Old Iron. He yells out that he will have them made into stakes if they do not come back. <laughs> he soon turns to notice the threatening spirit scaring him. As General Old Iron lifts the mask towards his face, Loban, still gripping the ropes, rises with it. Satoru, desperate to save his uncle, jumps and holds Loban's body. And Sokka kind of follows suit. It's kind of like, my uncle. And Sokka's like, Satoru, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like a dangling body chain now. The three are carried to the town with the spirit, hanging on for their lives. And Satoru says something like, that big. That's how big. (laughs) Back at the refinery, Aang tries to explain why he needs to destroy the factory attempting to convey who General Old Iron is and Yang Chen's now broken agreement with him. He asks for Toph's trust, but she refuses, believing it just to be there for the sake of returning to the old times and all that. She's still stubborn. She's still stuck in her Mm -hmm. ways. And he's stuck in his ways. They're both stuck in their ways. Unfortunately, one of the ways needs to kind of go because everything will go. Aang says that while it is true that he's kind of stuck in his old ways, if they can revert the town to what it used to be, they can show that humans can preserve and protect. But Toph still doesn't like the idea of destroying a sign of the future for the sake of the past. Aang tells them to get out of the way, but she refuses and takes a defensive position. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. There's still a rift over here. Mm-hmm. The two exchange blows and Aang manages to get the metal bending trio out of the fight safely. So neither of them accidentally hurt their friends, which I thought was very like classic Aang, classic heroic. Oh, yeah. Right. Like get these three out of here, get Hotan, the Dark One and Penga out of here. So you don't have to worry about collateral damage as much. Well, collateral life damage. I think Aang might be secretly hoping that he can pull a Zhao on this one. And maybe like get Toph to kind of like destroy the refinery for him. Yeah, probably. Maybe a little bit. Eventually, Penga points out that General Old Iron is towering over the city. Like we said, like Godzilla. And they all notice that the giant iron chunks have started to rise and resume their place as spirit armor. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, because the way that they're metal bending and earth bending right now is something that we haven't seen before. Yes. Like Toph bends this giant slab of earth up out of the ground vertically and then is like punching almost like a hole puncher. Mm-hmm. So there's like these perfectly round circles that are flying out of this towards Aang and he has to dodge and not get hit, etc. But by the end, it almost looks like a really holy piece of Swiss cheese. <laughs> and I don't think we've seen that before. I thought that was really visually cool. 
Well, I think it's kind of similar to the the concept of the earth coins that the army uses. Yeah. Where they're like decorative in the ground, but they rise them up. It's that same idea. It's just without all of the, I don't know what you want to call it. The, yeah, the detail, the design, yeah, the yeah, yeah. intention. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. She's just like, all right, cool. Makeshift coins. Go. Makeshift giant discs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then interestingly... Toph and her students start metal bending with the iron ore line around and Aang dodges them. And then they just start floating up to the sky to become General Old Iron's armor. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, well, I guess we're not going to metal bend anymore. Yeah. Katara notices that Sokka, Loban, and Satoru are still clinging to his mask. So she water bends a slide, which will allow the three to slide down. After quite a bit of hesitation from Loban, the three make their way down the slide. Loban ends up thanking his nephew for getting him to let go of the mask. While Sokka says that he doesn't like water slides any better than dirt slides. <laughs> I love how elemental slides are such a thing in the comics. I feel like he's not going to like fire slides. Ooh, I don't <laughs> think anyone would like fire slides. That would not work out so well. Aang tries to talk some sense into General Old Iron about how he as the Avatar works to maintain the balance between the physical and spiritual worlds, but General Old Iron basically refuses to hear it and decides to attack the humans instead. Katara blocks his fist with ice while Aang earthbends a giant rock body, which I love this, for himself uh-huh. in the Avatar state, and the two titans go blow for blow. It's such a cool idea. <laughs> He's basically taking one of the first lessons that Toph taught him in terms of, because he did the rock armor, and then he yeah. evolved it into the crystal armor at the end of book two. Mm-hmm. And now he's turned it into a giant rock body, which yep. is so cool. It's like Godzilla versus Kong right now. Yeah. It, we're duking it out. We're jumping basically into Pacific Rim here. Yes. So good. This is like, they had fun with this. Uh-huh, the team I'm had sure. fun with this. This is so cool. Down below, Toph watches and realizes that Aang cannot win without their help. She instructs her students to peel off each scale of armor from the spirit using metal bending. General Old Iron is very confused at what is going on when his armor just is getting torn apart piece by piece. Yeah, metal bending isn't a thing. No, how can they do this? no reason his armor should be falling off. Yeah. Toph yells for Aang to take a shot, but he refuses as it might be too much for the spirit to handle. Toph thinks Aang is absolutely out of his mind for not taking the punch. But when General Old Iron threatens his friends, Aang enters the Avatar state and blows a hole through the spirit's chest. Oh, man. This next part. Mm -hmm. Aang immediately regrets his decision and offers Katara's healing to the spirit. But General Old Iron has made up his mind. He gets up and tells the Avatar that while Lady Tianhai refused to acknowledge the truth, he knows he was right all along. There is no longer a place for spirits in this world. General Old Iron wipes tears from his eyes as he returns to the shore. Aang tells the spirit that it is his job to maintain balance between the two worlds. The giant spirit scoffs at the sentiment and tells Aang the following. You repeat those words over and over like a mantra, but you are only fooling yourself. Whenever the border between our two worlds grows into a rift, the Avatar will always side. With the humans, the Avatar is, after all, a human. Aang begs the spirit to change his mind and that he can restore the balance, but Old Iron is still not listening. At the core of human nature, it is the will to dominate. Look into your own heart and you'll see that it's true. There can be no balance between the spirit world and the human one. The giant spirit turns around and bows to Aang as a sign of respect to the human who vanquished him. Oh, man. (laughs) There's a couple things here. Yes. So first of all, like trivia and notes. Yeah. Yang did say that it was very difficult to address this tension between the mortal and spirit realms. But the attempt was to foreshadow the conflicts that we're going to see in book two of Korra, which is titled Spirits. The other thing, just to get into like this scene itself, it is so sad. It's almost like this might be a weird relationship to point out, but this is kind of like one of those scenes where like this really angry wolf is like scary and you're like, you're going to try to like either kill it or or make it go away. And then like you actually heard it and it does that like yelp and it runs away with its tail between its legs. It's like, no, wait, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
you're so nice. It's okay. It's that concept of like someone big and powerful who you don't think has emotions, who can't be hurt, being hurt, like majorly hurt. And then like the humanity coming out and it just being like, oh God, no, this is like, this is really bad. You're really hurt. We really did something to affect you and you're showing your your emotions. Yes. If that makes sense. Like No, absolutely. It does. Yeah. Like it's this big hulking figure that is set on decimating hundreds of lives in an instant. And then you take a step back and you kind of realize his motives and you realize his point of view and you, at least in my opinion, you realize he's kind of right. Mm -hmm. When I was reading this and then when I was writing the summary, I couldn't help but think about the first time we got to see the spirit world in Avatar, which was Heibai. Yeah. And had Heibai been corrupted and off in the middle of nowhere, Aang would not have helped him because he wouldn't have known, right? Yep. And that's not Aang's fault. That's just, I think, the downside of making an avatar human. There's a lot of pros to this, but the con is they are, just like General Old Iron said, they are going to side with humans when push comes to shove because that's who they grew up with. That's who they know. That's who they have attachments to. Yeah, and we talked about that in a previous episode during the animated series, how that was kind of the design yeah, to have this ultimate power who is the balance between the human and spirit world, who has the ability to bend every element, who has the avatar state. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're in a human body, that they live a human life is a way to tether them to the earth and its people and to make sure that they are human and relatable and they can not be this like untouchable cosmic force, they're able to have humanity to them. But now we're seeing that that also is kind of like a double-edged sword because while it works for one group, it doesn't for the other. And the spirits are being forced out of this world yeah. as effect. I think the original concept of the Avatar in this world, not like in our world or the real world, but like in, in the world of Avatar, the last airbender was... They grow up human, they learn about the spirit world, they make spirit friends, they kind of do that. So now they have a balanced look at it. Uh -huh. Because for a spirit to enter the human world isn't that big of a deal, it seems like. It seems like they kind of just do it all the time. It's like a vacation, like going to Florida, going to Disney World. Why not? Right? Like it's, it's kind of a big deal, but it's not as big of a deal as the other way around. Where yeah. like when a human enters the spirit world, very few do. And like we only know of at this point a handful, uh -huh. if that. So I think that was kind of like, it's this big honor and they do that. But Aang never got the opportunity to go there too much. He never got the, the only friend he has is Heibai there. Really? Mm -hmm. Like he's met a couple and they're kind of jerks to him and one tried to steal his face, but <laughs> that's his experience. Whereas with Korra, I think we're going to get the opposite. I hope anyways, that's kind of the, yeah. the vibe I'm getting off of it. Yep. Aang watches as the once mighty spirit transforms into several rock lobster serpents. <laughs> things. They do look like crustaceans of some kind. Yes. But rocky. And those dive back into the ocean. Toph walks to the shore and approaches her friend. She tells him that attacking General Old Iron could not have been easy. And she thanks her friend for saving her and her students. Aang and Toph hug. Aww. I also do want to point out that I think I don't remember if we talked about this on the Rift Part 1 or 2. I feel like we did. But the original idea for General Old Iron and Lady Tanhai was that they were lobster serpent spirits. Right, right. More of like an oceanic inspiration. Yes. So I thought it was a nice little touch to have him turn into these lobstery, rock lobstery things as almost like a tip of the hat to their original design. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Also, just a note about the scene here between Aang and Toph, their reconciliation. There was a, an art note that said that they purposefully had the rain stop to emphasize this moment of reconciliation. Yeah, they made it through the storm. Yeah, they made it through the storm. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, Avatar and their storms. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Lao addresses the refinery workers at their camp while the air acolytes help serve food. The cabbage merchant tells Satoru that he had heard about how he made the forklift. That remarkable machine. Wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> and Katara sits down with Nutha and Nyok, sharing memories about their time in the Southern Water Tribe after a heartfelt apology to the waterbending master. Katara notices that Aang looks sad and she leaves her friends to check in on him. As Katara approaches Aang, we see that the statue of Lady Tianhai has been destroyed which the Avatar thinks is because of the earthquakes. 
He wonders if General Old Iron was right and that spirits don't have a place in the world. But Katara dismisses this, saying that if the Avatar has a place, the spirits must. She adds that he should consult one of his past lives because the past and the future are connected by the present. As Aang starts to meditate, he notices several cranefish descend towards him. He watches and realizes that these are not normal birds. And they begin to kind of like glow with spirit energy, which forms Lady Tianhai. Yay! She then goes on to tell the Avatar of the events leading to her death. And now, Acorn, I thought it would be nice if you read this one, because I pulled the direct quote of her story, because I thought it would be nicer if Lady Tianhai told us herself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lady Tianhai says, I was once caretaker of this place. Under my watch, the seashore was beautiful, but also stagnant, characterless, and unchanging. That is, until a small group of humans built a magnificent city here. After my friend General Old Iron left me, I began a new tradition. Once a year, I would take the form of a human for a night and stroll through the city's streets. I marveled at everything the humans created. On one of these visits, I met the city's precocious young prince. His curiosity was endless, and so was his energy. He made the most beautiful things, machines and books, sculptures and building designs. I wanted to always be near him. I willingly accepted my human form as permanent, even though it meant that I would eventually die a human death. We married. My prince eventually became king, and we lived in happiness for many years. When I died, however, the king blamed himself. He believed he had seduced me into giving up my original immortal form. Thank you. That was wonderful. This is such an emotional scene. I love being able to find out like the backstory of what's going on with these characters. Not only Yang Chen, but also Lady Tianhai. I really like the spirits backstories because it feels just like like real, like like yep. a real thing that is in our like cultural zeitgeist of spirits. I feel I don't know. I can't describe it like mythological level stories. Yep. Oftentimes, and I found this to be the case with my own stories, being able to come up with either mythology or creation myth or just cultural story histories really adds a level of realism to the story because it's showing the history. It's showing the cultural impact of these stories or myths or backgrounds. So I think that's just the case here too. We're getting so much backstory that we're seeing both the impact of the past on the present and the way the present observes the past. Yeah, it's so cool. Tianhai then tells Aang that spirits do not die. They simply take on new forms, which we saw with General Old Iron, everyone. (laughs) Rock lobster. Rock lobster. She also tells the young avatar that Old Iron was wrong. It is not human nature to dominate, but to create. Tianhai ultimately believes that Aang will create a civilization that preserves and protects as it grows and that spirits will always have a place as long as humans create one for them. As the spirit returns to her cranefish form and flies away, the avatar asks if he is sure this will happen, to which she only states that she can hope. Three months later, a parade takes place in the town where the refinery once stood, while work begins on a new factory operated by Toph and Satoru. Ooh. Toph punches Satoru in the arm, wondering why he has not invited her back yet, and the industrialist admits that he was waiting for her to waltz back in whenever she felt like. Oh, boy. <laughs> Toph says her father raised her better than that. But I think we all know otherwise. Yep. Also, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Do we see something developing here between Toph and Satoru? Oh, maybe. I hope not. I get the oogies from this relationship. <laughs> the bad oogies. He is much too old for her. I'm sorry. I don't know. I think at this point, she's like, what, 15, 16? He's probably like 18, 19. Just look it's, at the oogies yeah, from that. That's yeah, like the difference between high school and college for me right now. Yeah, but if they stay friends for a couple of years, That's then they'll fair. be a more acceptable age range. There is totally, absolutely like a shift between a teenager to someone almost in their 20s to like someone mid 20s and beginning of 20s. Yeah. Totally. Yep. But <laughs> yeah, like I'm still like, uh, maybe it's just I feel like protective of Toph a bit because I love her so much. <laughs> Probably. It's just cute how he sees her for who she is. He's that's like, oh, true. I just thought you would waltz back in whenever you felt like it because that's who you that's are. That's what you do. Yes. So Sokka sells meat kebabs, which is hilarious. 
Katara is kind of looking on the new tradition with a bit of shock kind of on her face, it looks like. Yeah, kites with strings. Yeah. Selling meat, a loud parade. Like, what's going on here? This isn't Yang Chen's festival. Yeah, this is not like Air Nomad-like at all. So Aang admits that while it's not Air Nomad-like or Yang Chen's festival, it's at the same time, it kind of is. Aang calls this new festival the Spirit's Friendship Festival, which is same tradition just in a new form. That's nice. Progress. Turn it into something new. Turn it into something new that everyone can appreciate with meat kebabs. (laughs) Yep. And many other things, parades. And that, dear friends, brings us to the end of the rift. Yep. I have a small thing to bring up. Oh, yes. I didn't realize that this was in the comic until I read a note from Yang. Mm. If we look at that scene, the panel right under where it says three months later, and mm-hmm. we see the procession, everyone's playing instruments and stuff. Look at Loban. What do you notice about him? A Loban's a bear acolyte. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that that was the intention, but apparently, according to Yang, who wrote the comic, mm-hmm. Loban atoned for his actions by joining the air acolytes. Can I take it a step further? Yeah. Look who's behind Loban. Vakir. <laughs> I don't think Vakir joined. I think he's just doing the procession because if you notice, half of the people in the procession are not wearing air acolyte robes or the, right. the sashes. That's and right. the actual air acolytes, Loban, they're the ones who are wearing the robes. So I don't know. That's I wouldn't have seen that coming. I kind of don't think that Loban had enough of a transformational experience to like give up his oh, capitalist yeah. lifestyle to go join the air acolytes. But according to Yang, he did. Well, a lot can happen in three months, right? That's true. That's true. We didn't see. Right. So, I mean, look what happened in Avatar, the last airbender, the animated series. Uh-huh. That was like, what, over a summer? I feel like. Yeah, that's true. Yep. So a lot can happen. Yeah. I would like to think that Fakir also joined them, but I guess not. At least he's in good standing with the town. Yes, he's not an enemy anymore. Mm -mm. He looks very confused by that horn, though. (laughs) He does. He's very perplexed. Oh, that's wonderful. I wonder if we're going to get any more of this in the next trilogy of books. Like this factory town? Well, of Loban specifically. Oh, yeah. That's going to be interesting if he actually shows up in the future scenes with the air acolytes wherever they are. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be cool. Absolutely. All right. We're at that point where we discuss let's go with the mvp first all right mvp i think it's ang actually yeah either ang or lady tianhai but i think ang had a bigger role to play i mean this is a very ang focused comic absolutely yeah him and toff i think that him being able to address the rift between the past and the present humans and the spirits and navigating it the way that he did deserves mvp i agree with you i think ang is the mvp of this Absolutely. He manages to gain a new perspective on himself as well as the world around him. And he was so busy, I think, in the animated series concentrating on mastering the four elements. He definitely, definitely lost focus on the other side being the bridge between spirits and humans, right? And he he would say, like, yeah, I'm the bridge between the... It's like, you know what that means? You saw like four spirits, if that. Yeah. You've been to the spirit world three times. You only remember two of them. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? But I, I think it kind of gave him a new perspective on things. And I'm, it does make me very excited for what's to come next. Uh-huh. Me too. Yeah. What is your moral of the issue? Oh, man. I feel like it's an iteration of a moral that we've talked about in the past. I'm going to quote Bojack Horseman with this one. Okay. Time's arrow marches forward. I think that this is a great example of just how holding on to the past too tightly blinds you to what you have in the present and what you could have in the future. So I think it's a nice reminder of just being able to flow with time, to change as you need to, to see the opportunity in things and let time take you forward. I really like that. Something to like really chew on, I think, too. Like I think sometimes with some of the morals, it's kind of like, yeah, this is great for the world of Avatar The Last Airbender. but. I feel like, especially now, like that's really something to chew on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a related quote by someone called Russell Hoban. I don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. But time's arrow points one way only. Even the moment just passed cannot be returned to. Yeah. And if that's not enough to send you into an existential crisis, I don't know <laughs> what is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> 
What about you? Oh, the moral of this issue. I, I agree with you, but in order to just not completely agree from both points, I think there's another moral kind of hidden in here a little bit, which is even if you think you're doing great at something, it's always just a good idea to, to just have a gut check and, and just like a reality check and just make sure that you're not in your own head about it. Kind of like how Aang was like, I'm doing great as the Avatar. And all the spirits are like, we're dying. <laughs> Save yeah. us. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't have a wise way to put that other than just check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's your poetic there it is. words that would make the dark one proud. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of the episode. Remember, we appreciate those five-star written reviews. So go ahead and leave those over on Apple Podcasts. Once we wrap up with the U.S. side, we'll jump back into all of the other territories that we were kind of eyeballing and seeing if anything new pops up there. We'll also jump into the emails a bit for anyone who was maybe listening on Spotify or, or any other of the platforms that doesn't have a rating or review system. And we'll read mm -hmm. those afterwards. And if you're caught up on everything, you can always join me over twitch.tv slash Greg on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, much like many of you already have. It's great to see everyone come in asking about Avatar stuff and talking and hanging out, enjoying some new games. I am, by the time this airs, probably still in the last game of the Darksiders series. This one's taking mm -hmm. a bit longer because I'm teaming up with my friend TV's Casey, and he can only do things on Friday nights. So I'm going to be here forever while playing this game <laughs> forever. But on the on Mondays, we're playing different games. We played some V Rising. We're going to get into Hellblade, which is really neat. Ooh, I love Hellblade. I played half a Hellblade. I never finished it. I don't know why. So I'm going to start back from the beginning. So come on, hang nice. out there. We got so many cool things going on. And of course, you can find me on Twitter. A lot of people already have, or basically anywhere on the internet as Booster Greg. You can find me. I didn't tell you. What? Someone found me. I, I have an Xbox. I don't turn it on. Someone found huh? me on Xbox, which is like Avatar question mark. I did not answer because no I didn't know way. what to do about it. But oh my gosh. <laughs> but hello there, friend. <laughs> uh, Acorn, where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me online as well at Acorn Bandit. That is on Twitter. Everywhere else is going to be Joyson Studio, J-O-I-S-A-N-S dot com, as well as Joyson Studio on Etsy, where you can find enamel pins. That's right. Absolutely. We got the Appa and Toph pins. And I know people have been, been like, hey, remember like 87 years ago when you said there's going to be a book three <laughs> pin and there's still not a book three pin? We're working on it. Okay. It's been 83 years. 83 years. We're working on it. All right. <laughs> Coming up next time. Toph Beifong's Metal Bending Academy. That's right. We didn't forget about it. It is finally time to read this book. So exciting. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. Podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 